a, uh, a mature, growing children's and student ministry, especially in Natomas, you're, you're just a few months away from uh, not having any effectiveness. In Natomas, if you can crack the code, if you can have the keys to the hearts of children and youth, you can really serve here for a long time. And those uh, ladies and Chris and James, they stepped in uh, and worked over and above their, uh, their, what we would expect out of um, anyone to really step in for our kids. So I just, I, I can't thank God enough for them. Amazing, amazing people uh, that have that took, made some bold moves uh, to make student ministry and children's ministry continue to happen. I want to ask you just to get us started. This is the last Sunday of our uh, series, Taking Steps Towards Generosity. And we're asking you to take a step this month. We want you to feel loved and cared for as we do it. So we hope that today is, uh, is encouraging to you. I want to ask you from, a, from taking a step standpoint, have any of you been really good at leading people the wrong way, especially from a driving standpoint? Have any of you are just are gifted at actually taking a carpool the wrong direction? How many of you have led carpools for maybe a Natomas Charter Leading Edge student or, or a Natomas Park Elementary trip to Monterey? Anyone done that? Okay, if you'd done it with me, it would have been your last one. I notoriously missed that turn on the way down to Monterey for our, uh, our, our um, Natomas Park elementary trip down to uh, the aquarium. Missed a trip, usually take two or three. Missed a turn, usually take two or three cars with me. Uh, I have gotten lost in um, Southern California. I've gotten lost in the city. Uh, not really gifted at providing good direction. Well, I was encouraged when I learned this week that most of us, by our default nature, lead people in circles. It's really true. Most of us lead people in circles. Dr. Jan Soman of the Max Planck Institute for Biological Cybernetics uh, argues that hikers and travelers feel like they're walking in circles when they're lost because... They are walking in circles. People naturally walk in circles. I'm not exaggerating. Without landmarks to guide us, people really do go round and round. Researchers challenged 15 people to walk straight while blindfolded. When they, could, when they couldn't see at all, the walkers ended up going in surprisingly small circles with a diameter of less than 66 feet. The results aren't necessarily surprising said uh, Randy uh, Gallistel, a cognitive neuroscientist at Rutgers University. He said most, this is, this is your encouragement from the, for the day, most dead hikers, after all, are found within a mile of where they got lost, if not 100 meters from where they got lost. So on a bright sunny day, no one has a problem navigating. But on a cloudy day, everyone ended up walking in circles. Clearly, Humans need a fixed point in order to perceive things the right way. Every person said, it felt like I was walking in a straight line, and yet they're walking in circles. And so this week, uh, our final Sunday, we are asking you to prayerfully identify one of the following steps as your map, as a starting point towards generosity. And we've asked you to, uh, to pray, firstly, about becoming a first-time giver. And 
It's ironic, uh, you would think, or surprising, half of the congregates in the U.S. don't give to their home church at all. Half. In fact, it's a little higher. It's more like 54% folks don't give to their home church. We want to challenge you to buy into the vision at Adventure, which is bringing Jesus' hope to an imperfect world. And I got to tell you, last week, I was in my office doing some problem solving with three ladies, my assistant, Diane, and two other team members from Compassion 365. I had just come out of a meeting helping me understand the true demographics and the needs in Natomas. And here I am with two Compassion 365 members, and this is what they're telling me. Hey, we need to be praying for uh, the homeless outreach off uh, 160. Um, I heard from another Compassion 365 member that day, uh, we, we need to be praying for Pastor Hogue. He, he is having problems with his lungs. He's the pastor that oversees the homeless ministry. I'm hearing from this team about some of the individuals they're caring for during the week. I'm hearing from this team how they're willing to help us provide uh, uh, financed counseling for marrieds, for singles, for individuals that are struggling with a significant mental illness. And I'm, I'm hearing this from them. And I'm like, wow, Lord, it amazes me that you provided these team members to help bring Jesus' hope to this community. And if you buy into that, when you give a gift, you help finance those very initiatives that we want to do to bring Jesus' hope to folks. They, they shared one story with me this week. They said, by the way, have you heard about so-and-so? I was like, no. They said, there's this one family that I actually know. They're my neighbors. They, they brought their, their daughter to, uh, to help feed a homeless family through um, Family Promise. And their daughter volunteered. They asked, does anyone want to pray? And their young daughter said, yeah, I'll pray. She led uh, 15 or so uh, in prayer. And when she left, after bringing hope to that group, the other homeless children started praying at following meals because of her example. These families are like my, these homeless families are like, my kids have started praying because of that girl that was here a couple nights ago. That's when, I tell you, you bring, you bring hope through a child. That child can bring hope to other children who are suffering in homelessness. And uh, it, it just continues to build and build. Folks, what we believe is that if we can bring Jesus' hope into people's lives, whether they're struggling with, as I mentioned, with real marriage issues, they're struggling with mental health issues, they're struggling with needs just to survive, then we can really make a difference in the Thomas. Would you not agree with that? Yes, someone did. <laughs> we want to bring hope. So a first-time gift will help make that happen. Secondly, and I also challenge you, a first-time gift can be the hardest of them. I challenge you, well, how about not giving to adventure? Give to AIM. And that's a group that is fighting sex trafficking in Cambodia. Give to them uh, if that's the first step you need to take, uh, if, if that helps. The other step we asked you to consider was being a consistent giver. And a consistent giver is someone who says, hey, I pay my AT&T mobile account regularly. Maybe I should start some regular giving to my home church, to the church where I want to see God continue to move. And so you become a consistent giver. Maybe you decide, you know what? We've really seen God continue to enrich our lives through giving. We want to become more intentional with our giving. 
And intentional giving, I would equate to like opening up your first Roth IRA account or your first uh, 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 savings account where you have dollars automatically drafted from your account that go straight into your Roth IRA and it's something that you don't touch, you don't see. That's intentional giving. Maybe that describes the next step you need to take. Maybe the next step you need to take is, is one that uh, uh, normally 2.5% of a congregation take, and that is to start tithing, where you practice uh, only, only because you cheerfully feel the Lord is leading you to do this. You practice tithing, which is where folks say, hey, I'm going to give 10% of my income to the Lord. And this is a practice that has its roots even before the law was introduced in the ministry uh, or the patriarchal journey of Abraham. And also it's specified in his grandson, uh, Jacob's life. That may be your step. Your step may be, you know what, I want to do more than that. I get so excited. God has blessed me so much. I get so excited about what God can do with the resources he's entrusted me. And you want to become a radical, generous giver. I have friends that do this. They make a decision. Some of them, I'm going to increase my giving every year by a percent. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, you know what? We've got more than we need, and we just want to give more. And you might be saying to yourself right now, wow, I wish I could say that. I cannot relate to that. Well, I think some of the material I've taught this week that is as we start this journey, start taking these steps towards generosity, you're going to see the Lord provide for you more. That Corinthian passage implied that as we give, he'll continue to to fill our seed. And so if you take some steps, perhaps God will continue to be more generous with you. Maybe not financially. Maybe you'll see other blessings like we've learned about, like your children being baptized, your children walking with the Lord. And what we've asked everyone to do at Adventure that some have already started doing is to prayerfully make a decision. We've provided, and if I could have some house lights on, that would help. We've provided... Um, these decision cards with an envelope in there for you to prayerfully fill out. And you decide, hey, we or I, if you're single, have prayerfully decided to take a step with Jesus towards generosity by, and you check off the box, you take this, you place it in the envelope, you seal it, it's for your uh, and the Lord's eyes only, and then you put your address on it, and Diane is going to send these all to you in A, just to remind you, of your decision. Now, in case you're like just exhausted with this idea of giving, I want to talk to you about your heart this morning from a passage that I think Jesus is, uh, where Jesus is really trying to show us that giving is so much about what's going on here with you and Jesus. That's why it's awkward to talk about it, is because our our heart can easily be enticed by our money inappropriately. Let me first tell you that God is not this CFO in heaven that's like, hey, I hope adventure comes through and really takes a step of faith. I, I, we are running low on uh, cash flow here in the heavens. That doesn't describe the Lord. Look in Psalm 50, verses 9 through 11. I want you to see God's posture as it relates to our generosity. Psalm 50 verses 9 through 11 will give you a picture of God's posture as when we decide to take a step towards generosity. 
This is with regard to the Levitical system where they offered actual animals as sacrifice, not, not currency, uh, primarily animals. In verses 9 through 11, the psalmist writes, Asaph, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your, pen, from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. So God is not saying, hey, I, I need your generosity. Uh, it's, but it's something that we need to do because it comes, becomes that fixed point that helps us get to better places in life. That helps us to enjoy all the stuff that we have on this earth. And remember, folks, we have stuff. We are blessed. We are overwhelmingly blessed with possessions and, I would argue, too many possessions, too many choices. It's hard for us. Giving helps us deal with that. Figure out where you are and take a step. Figure out what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to joyfully do, and you take a step that's between you and Him. You may have had this experience. Maybe Mother's Day is coming up. Do you remember when Mother's Day came up? Dads, you would take your sons or daughters aside and say, hey, Mother's Day is coming up, okay? This is a make-or-break day for me personally, okay? This is, this is, this is big deal. This, is, this can actually make or break May and, and even June and July for me. So <laughs> here's the deal. You need to get your mom a gift, all right? Here's, here's some cash. That, that's money. Yeah, that'll get you a gift, okay? And you need to go, we need to do really well here. Okay, thank you, Daddy. And you go off and you get this gift and you give it uh, she, you help your daughter, your son, buy this gift for your wife. You get, you know, you, you convince your son or daughter this is, a, this, this is really important. And they pick out a gift that they want to give uh, your wife. And it just touches her heart deeply. And uh, the son or daughter gets all the praise. Great job. You did an amazing job. And really, you just simply coached your son or daughter on how to make one of the most important days of the year special for your wife or for your mother or for your grandmother, right? Or maybe it's Christmas time and you are, uh, you want to start training your kids to give gifts, even to you. You want to train them to give gifts to parents and so you, you uh, or to their siblings, and so you give them some money to give those gifts. And sometimes those children can easily think that the money that they're receiving is, it's theirs, like, you ask for the change back, they're like, oh, oh no, that, that's my change. Uh, it, there can be this kind of assumed ownership of the very resources you're giving them to use to buy a gift for a sibling, to buy a gift for your spouse, to buy a gift even, even for an extended family member. And that kind of response is our default nature. God provides generously for us. He asks us to actually give a portion back to Him as an act of worship, and we're like, uh, this is mine. You can understand how, as a parent, that would make you feel. You can understand, perhaps, why God's heart is moved now when we give a gift to Him. It's our thoughtfulness to give back to Him a portion of what He's given to us. Um, Look in Mark chapter 12, because I want you to see a story I think you're probably very familiar with, but that has 
I think, application that even goes beyond giving. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 and following. This is on page 705 in our Adventure Bibles. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, in everything, all she had to give. The financial equivalent of the amount that she gave, a drachma, was one-fifth of a penny. I mean, can you imagine, even on a Sunday morning service, if you accidentally, we don't peek at what people give, but if you accidentally saw someone go into the offering, how you might be tempted to think, wow, are you serious? (laughs) It would be tempting to think, wow, I mean, especially if they made a lot of noise, Especially if it was a, you know, type draw. Almost as if they're making a point. I don't care. And this is a setting at which, at the temple, people brought their gifts publicly. The rich were bringing in their gifts. So you can see a couple at home. Hey, big day this weekend. Uh, let's make certain we're real generous. Bring, this, bring the, the Samsonite suitcases. We're going to dump a lot of a lot of cash into the offering. Jesus is seeing there's rich people in this congregation. There's rich people in this gathering at the temple. And he can see the rich people, but they don't catch his attention. What catches his attention is this poor widow who gives the equivalent of a a couple fifths of a a cent. In fact, it's also the other equivalent is a, she gave a, a one 128th of a day's work. And while everyone else might have said, oh, wow, well, that's just a widow. She's desperate. She, that's, that's, just, that's just what she's got. Jesus is saying, no, what she did here, if unwrapped, is a great example of why giving It's really such a matter of the heart. She was trusting the God to do what he wanted to do with the money. She was trusting God to keep the leaders of the temple accountable. With all these big gifts, she didn't care. She wanted to give what she felt the Holy Spirit was prompting her to give. Yesterday, I was at Safe Credit Union, and I ran into one of our sisters at the church, and she wanted to tell me. I said, hey, what's going on? She says, I'm, and, and she gave me permission to share this. She said, I'm here to get my tithe money. And I was like, wow, wow. She said, oh yeah, God is providing for me. I am going to be faithful. I want to do this. Single gal, struggled with unemployment, rather employment, and struggled to find housing. And she wants to give out of her, out of her struggling means. Why does that kind of generosity, why does it capture Jesus' heart? Jesus says in 
these verses, calling his disciples to him, he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. In everything, she put all she had to live on. She gave more than all the others. Jesus is talking about heart here. Her giving came from a different place. She knew that it was going to be used for the right reason. She trusted the Lord. When, when we spend money, we typically spend it, pay some bills, pay our taxes, um, decide to save for a rainy day, and then with the leftovers, hey, let's give a little to the Lord. According to the book, The Genius of Generosity, the average Christian gives 2.5% to God. Christians gave a higher percent of their income during the Great Depression of the 1920s than they do today. Half of all congregants do not give anything to their home church. What does this say about heart? That's my question. What does this say about heart? Only 3 to 5% ever commit to tithing to their local church. Statistically, the more a person makes, the less they give. The more the percentage goes down. People in the medium income bracket of $50,000 a year give 6% of their income. At $200,000 a year, people give 4% to charities. And my argument is I don't think God is impressed with the heart of that generosity. Seeking God first gives us a better life, more contentment, more fulfillment. How do you do that? You just start. Some folks say, hey, I'm going to spend the first, pay some debt off, take care of my taxes, save, and then God gets the, what's left over. But then they face a difficulty in life. They don't put God first, but when they face a difficulty, they say, oh God, where are you? And as it relates to giving, Jesus is saying to this woman, and he's saying to us this morning, you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm giving you an opportunity to show me how much you really trust me by putting me first so you can feel me in your day-to-day life. People who don't give have a barrier between them and God. They don't feel him because they're not trusting him with that which can be most important to them. Giving helps us tear down the bonds of this real world and of this real world away from us. We're saying that this world is not the place where we find our happiness. You know, the rich have a burden. I shared last weekend, you're rich on this globe. You're in the top, I think it's 3%, if you make 24%, if you make $24,000 a year. More zeros on the end of my gift doesn't mean that I'm giving more. Let me ask you. Personally, if giving is really hard for you, if you're like, oh, I'm so glad this is the last Sunday on giving. Oh, this has been tough. If giving's really hard for you, I wonder if giving's difficult because there are other things in your life that are very difficult for you to surrender personally to Jesus Christ. And giving is just coined life. This, these, these, what we have is just coined life. What God's asking for is coined life. And so giving is difficult because it's getting at the heart. And I wonder, are there other areas in your life that you struggle to give? If giving truly is that attract, that difficult for us. See, this widow was willing to trust God with what she couldn't see ahead. She had no idea God was going to provide for her in the future. 
how do you do at giving God your heart when you can't see the future? How trusting are you in in trusting God to change the heart of your spouse in the future? How that is a bird, isn't it? I've been trying to ignore it. That's got to be a bird. How many agree that's a bird? Okay, all right. We're okay. How many of you just woke up? Welcome to Adventure. It's great to have you. All right. You know, sometimes, just honestly, if I'm speaking, I just try to ignore things, right? Hey, you get 10 twerps in, you got to acknowledge it. But here's the deal. If this woman was willing to trust God with her to provide for her future, with little that she had, how willing are we to trust Jesus with our heart, with our future, in non-monetary ways? For example, your supervisor evaluates you. Or a, a, a client, a patient evaluates you. Somehow you get feedback. How open are you to hearing that feedback? Your spouse evaluates you. How open are you to that feedback? You have to trust that God is going to provide you the grace to make those adjustments that the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life. You may be facing some, a difficult uh, trend at work and struggling to trust. That trust ability is no different than when you're giving. It, it all requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when we talk about giving, I want you to know that we're, we're not just talking about you being generous and getting behind the vision of adventure. What we're talking about is where you're at in your journey with Jesus to trust him with what you can't see in the future. And to me, that, that kind of faith is what will protect your marriage. It's that kind of faith that'll help you be an outstanding employee or supervisor. It's that kind of faith that'll help you take care of yourself. It's that kind of faith that'll help you face uh, mental health issues and health, physical health issues. So is this all about money? You tell me. Is Jesus only interested in her money? No. She gave everything she had without any social security promised, trusting in him to provide. How well do you do at trusting Jesus to provide in all the other arenas of your life that are non-monetary? That's, I think, the heart of this issue. That's why money's tough for us, is it's coin life. It touches our hearts. But how well do we do in trusting him with everything else? In a sentence, what I think this passage is teaching is that it's not about the size of the gift, but the sacrifice of the giver. It's not about the size of the gift, but the sacrifice of the giver. It's not about the size of your gift. It's about here, what's happening here with the giver. And so I challenge you to uh, today to make giving your top priority. When I see people do this, they enjoy the balance of what they have a whole lot more. You can find contentment more when you start giving first. 
You start in the place that needs to be there first. And when we need God to show up in a pinch, he's already, he's already planned ahead to address that. It's much easier. Biblically, giving to God first is the precedent. It's the principle of the law. You give to God first from your grain offering. You give to God first the fruits of your offering. You give to him first, and then you watch him provide the less. You enjoy him more. Secondly, give a percentage. And know that zeros can be deceiving. You may, you may make a couple hundred a year and give $1,000 a year. You may have three zeros, you know, following the decimal of whatever you give. But don't be deceived. Zeros can be deceiving. Just because I've got two to three zeros following my gift does not mean that Jesus is identifying me as someone who's dependent upon him personally. So be cautious about the pride of your zeros. I challenge you to shoot for 10%, but do so with joy as you move that direction. It will be uncomfortable. It's like getting a a root canal, or I would actually say an extraction, complete extraction. Uh, And then uh, I could give more gory, but that's good. Uh, But pick a percentage and move towards there. And then be progressive. Don't stay. Move. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep growing in your giving. And I've challenged you. I think the toughest step today is the taking the first step to give for the first time. I challenge you, consider your first gift to aim, to help fight for the abolition of sex trafficking in Cambodia. For some of you that want to be progressive and move towards radical giving, giving over and above your 10%, I challenge you to become a monthly sponsor of children in Cambodia. I know that they'll have their table out today. Make a commitment to do 50 bucks a month and change the life of a young person. Our God is providing for adventure. Our next milestone is to hire our next-gen pastor. You know we've been talking about this since early December, late November. Uh, Our Jeremy Jones, his wife Kim, and their daughter get in their truck tomorrow to move here um, from Indianapolis. Uh, His first day of work is March the 1st, next Sunday, Let me tell you why we're so excited about him. We received 39 applications for this job. And we interviewed uh, one other candidate. And most of the candidates in their competency and integrity were right here. Jeremy was here. There was just no comparison. And we are so thrilled that we believe the Holy Spirit really drew him out here. And uh, he'll be a great fit for us. He's our next milestone. And there are other milestones that actually we're hitting that I'll share with you later uh, next month. But as you consider your giving, this is what I want you to pray about using this this confidential decision card. By the way, I won't even look at who does these. Diane gets these. This is between you and the Lord and Diane. She'll see your name. And (laughs) you can trust her, though. She's she's not too vindictive. Um, But I want you to fill this out, and this is what I want you to consider. Make it a top priority. Just like Abraham and Jacob did. Give a percentage. Challenge you towards a percentage giving. And be, be progressive. Continue to grow. Even if it's just a little bit more. So that you're growing. And you continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. To provide for you personally. And financially. 
I got to tell you, this next sermon series that I'm working on, it begins next month. It's called Spirit-Led Living. It's based on, out of the book of Philippians, if you want to start reading in advance. I've been very inspired by several of the journals that I've been reading from missionaries in the persecuted churches of Somalia, Russia, and especially China. I've, I've, I'm almost done with Brother Yun's Heavenly Man and uh, uh, Nip uh, Ripkins, um, The Insanity of God, and of course, Francis Chan's uh, Forgotten God. I've been so moved by the generosity of some of these persecuted Christians. I was reading just last night that these persecuted Christians who had nothing, very little, they, 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 they would have family members get arrested for holding house churches in China. But they were Christians that still practiced tithing with whatever they had. They, were, they had very little. And Brother Yun says his greatest concern in America is the distraction we have with all of our possessions. You start moving towards gener- generous giving, you'll be able to enjoy what you have even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for this challenge. Help this be about our heart and, and its submission and trust in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to us, you'll lead us, you'll prompt us, and that we'll leave today different because we're going to trust you more with our finances, with our coined life. And we're going to see that you're the one that's going to provide for us. In Jesus' name, in a big cheer, everyone say.